Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple, the host of this podcast. And after spending my entire career in the sports industry, I want to continue to find ways to give back. Give back to individuals that want to get in this business or individuals that are currently in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. This podcast is presented by General Sports Worldwide and theclubhousecareers.com. It's crazy. It's season four already. I'm going to have the privilege of sitting down with industry experts to discuss their career path. We're going to discuss three key topics that are currently in this industry, three hustle hot seat questions, and three pieces of advice, all under 24 minutes. Now, under our guests this week. Many people dream of being an entrepreneur at some point in time in their life. There are very few that can not only become one, but also excel in the sports space as an entrepreneur. I'm excited to have our next guest, Matt Zarasina, CEO and co-founder of True Tickets. Matt, welcome to the show. Travis, thanks for having me. Matt, very excited to talk about your career path. And as I kicked it off, you've always had that entrepreneurial spirit, and we'll talk through some of those ventures. What drives you to be a thought leader each and every day? The the I'd say the first one, uh, you know, on the spirit, right? Uh, I would say if you ask my my grade school teachers or my parents, I probably always had the entrepreneurial spirit. And, you know, in fourth grade, I made lottery tickets uh, that I sold to students and, and I got busted after a while for that. In <laughs> sixth grade, I, I sold gum. I would buy to, for those of you who live in the Midwest, Tom Thumb. Yep. And I'd, I'd bite to my Tom Thumb and I'd buy those 10 packs of Big Red and Juicy Fruit and I would sell them on the bus for 50 cents a pop. And I made pretty decent money until someone's parents got mad. And so I was always kind of into just that type of thing. And I think that's just one of those, those things as an entrepreneur, you have that kind of itch. You know, for the for the what drives me question, I like to believe that I'm an intellectually curious person by nature, and I have a strong desire to just have impact in anything I do. And when I think about my past, whether it's business or the military or sports, I, I always want to positively impact the environment I am, I'm in. And you know, there was a book a couple of years ago that I gave to my team over the Christmas break called The Coffee Bean, right? And it, it, the the genesis was like, what kind of the, the comparison was, you know, are you a carrot? Are you an egg? Or are you a coffee bean? Right. And so when you put it, you know, when you put one of those three things into like boiling water, the carrot goes limp, the egg becomes hard, but the coffee bean is the one that actually changes the environment that surrounds it. And yep. that's what you want to be. You want to be that thing that, that when you're put in a challenging situation, positively impacts the environment that you're around. And that's that approach. That's what drives me. Anything I do, I want to make sure that there's, there's, you know, I'm having a positive impact. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, you certainly have had a positive impact in that, you know, kind of that entrepreneurial spirit has, has worked out for you. You're now with True Tickets, which, which helps you know more of the patrons interacting with your tickets and showing up for your events, you know, as a rights holder while enabling you to deliver an exceptional digital ticketing experience for the audience. And so what would you say, you know, Matt, your elevator pitch for True Tickets? For our clients, it's all about first party data. And our clients need to know who's coming to their venues, who's attending their experiences, right? So when you think about it, if you're a venue that has 3,000 seats and you know you on average probably sell about three tickets per order, you know a thousand buyers, but you don't know if those buyers actually came to the venue. You don't know what they did with their ticket. You you don't know if you're that's the person you should who you should be developing the relationship with, right? And when you take a step back, you know, the Boston Symphony is not competing against the Boston Red Sox. The Boston Symphony is competing against Netflix and Google and Amazon and Facebook, right? Yep. These, these companies that know 90 to 99% of the people engaging with their product. So at best, maybe our clients know a third of the people engaging with their product. 
how do you win in this environment, right? The attention economy, if you don't know who's actually coming to your venue. So it really is that that kind of basic first party data value proposition and that know your customer. And there's such a long-term value proposition to that as well. And for me, my own self being on the sales side all the time is you want a lot of leads to nurture. And so now it's not just to your point, your thousand, it's 3000, 4,000 different potential types of buyers that can spend more money. Um, and so just over five years ago, the company launched, and I know a lot of listeners are, are always intrigued about launching a company. I guess if there's one positive and maybe one really big challenge is walking through, a, you know, walking through the launch of the company. Walking through the launch, of the, that's an interesting question. I'd say the, you know, the, the positive or the advice I'd, I'd give to someone who's thinking about it, right, on the process is make sure you get yourself or you prepare yourself to a point where you have the conviction to really, truly go after it. And until you're at that point, you know, it, it might not be, it might not be what's right for you. And, you know, and, I, we started True Tickets really in 2017, and I was working in corporate innovation. And one of the reasons I actually took a corporate innovation role is I was interested in building something. I didn't know what that something was going to be. And if you would have told me when I started at, at Talus Explore, Matt, in 16 months, you're going to leave and start a blockchain ticketing company, I probably would have laughed. Yep. But you know, I was open to that, and that was the whole point of that chapter in my life. And so you know, from the, the positive, make sure you have that conviction. And, and the negative is it's it's going to be harder than you think. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you know, get yourself to that point where you're ready to do it and, and know that there's going to be some unknown unknowns that are that are going to reveal themselves to you. And that's kind of what makes the job challenging and fun. As you say, that makes it challenging, fun, and even probably more rewarding. And so, you know, Matt, it, it, kind of with your entrepreneurial spirit, prior to launching True Tickets, you worked at Deloitte as part of, uh, part of the M&A, the mergers and acquisitions. And so how was that journey for you? For me, it was good. Deloitte was good for me. And I was a military officer coming out of the military, transitioning back in 2010. And, I, and for all intents and purposes, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and I like to joke that consulting is a halfway home for the professionally undecided. So <laughs> yeah. you, you know you want to do something. You know you want to do something challenging. You want to, you want to have a lot of a good breadth of experience. And consulting is great for that. And Deloitte was great for that for me. And when I started that chapter of my life, I expected, hey, just you, you got to get through this for two years, right? So you can do it for two years. And I ended up being there for six. And that ended up revealing in the, the next opportunity, which is corporate innovation for me. And, and if consulting is a halfway home for the professionally undecided, corporate innovation is a halfway home for startup wannabes, right? You want to be connected to the startup community, but you want a six-figure salary. You want your healthcare. You want your benefits. You want nine to five. And so, you, you know, you just want to wear polo shirts and jeans to the office and not have to wear, you know, ties and suits and, and right. buttoned up shirts like everybody else in corporate finance. And so for me, it was really good. It gave me that breadth of experience. And ultimately, it was what led me to where I am today. Yep. No, absolutely. It's great. And you know, I guess, Matt, you briefly mentioned there, and this is what I want to talk a lot about, because I think it's a very unique part of your story and your career and your, your life is back to beginning, you spend over 10 years in the US Navy. So first and foremost, thank you. And as you think back to that time when joining you know, what did you think from a career perspective that you were ultimately going to get into? When I went to the Naval Academy, if I'm being honest, I really didn't have a solid idea of what I wanted to do. I, I know that I wanted to do something different in college. I know that I wanted to do something where when I look back on it, it was something I was proud of, probably a little bit different than, than most college experiences. And if you would have asked me when I was a freshman, 
I was more concerned about just minimizing my military commitment than anything else. I, <laughs> I went to the Naval Academy. I said, hey, what's the shortest commitment I can do? That's kind of an interesting job that might be able to prepare me for my future. And, and I I was honestly thinking I was going to go submarines for, for the longest time in my my kind of academy college career. And so my the summer between my junior and senior year, I spent two weeks on the USS Ohio and it was great. We went from Seattle down to San Diego, super experience. The the summer experience after that, I, I flew to Japan and I was with an air wing that had just come back from deployment. And so they were basically home based the entire month of July. And all we did was play flag football and softball and go to downtown Tokyo. And at that time, I think the, the aviation commitment was an extra two or three years. And I said, you know what, I think I'll try flying. I'll do so that. that was really the that was the experience that catalyst that, that catalyzed my my desires to go to go be a pilot. Uh, and you know that was um, you know one of those things that was just really interesting for me to see. You know, again, when I think about my life, it's all about being open to that journey. And while I had a thought of where I wanted to go, there were certain experiences that I I found more interesting and more desirable, and I decided to go after them. You know, and you think about experiences and you spent a good amount of time in the U.S. Navy as not only a division officer, a pilot, but also an advisor and instructor. As you think back to your time there, what was your best experience from your time in the Navy? Best experience. Man, that, 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 that could go a lot of ways. I don't know if there's necessarily a best experience. I, I had a lot of very unique experiences. Yep. If, if I would say that the, the best thing about my time you know, putting on the uniform was actually, I'd say, the experiences and the people I've met along the way. Um, and it's it's a very unique bond. You know, from my time at the academy, all through flight school to my time at HSL 47 to teaching at Cornell, and even my my year-long deployment in Iraq, you have some you you have some really unique relationships. And that, I think that's the thing that was the most valuable thing for me, right? So you know, back in February. Actually, there were two guys that I played with in a band at the Naval Academy who I hadn't seen for 20 years, and they happened to be in the Boston area, and we reconnected, and it was, you know, it was just seamless. Uh, you know, there was a one-star general I served with in Iraq who, you know, I, you know, we joke now, you know, our our professional relationship in Iraq started off kind of rocky. He actually he actually sacked me as his oh, aide, uh, which was, you know, we again he he rightfully so too. I was not a very good aide, but then I ended up <laughs> becoming an oil advisor, and our relationship, you know, improved greatly. Uh, to the point where, look, he came to my wedding and he was recently, uh, you know, about a year and a half ago, appointed by the queen to take over as governor of Guernsey. And, and my wife and I were invited out to his, his swearing wow. in, which is very unique. And even just this week, a, a pilot friend of mine who we served together in Iraq, you know, called and we caught up. And I haven't found that kind of bond and those kinds of relationships elsewhere. And it's something I, I value a lot and I treasure a lot. It was something I quite frankly really didn't expect. Uh, so I'd say that that's kind of the best part of my military experience. And I love it. And I think, you know, a lot of what you do in life, it kind of starts and stops with the people that you surround yourself and you, you're, you're friends with, your acquaintances, your, your business partners with. And, you know, for your end, you know, Matt, you later went back and received both your master's in system engineering and master's of you know, business administration from Cornell University. What's your advice to listeners on the value of just furthering their education in general? I think it's incredibly valuable. For me, grad school was a great second phase of learning. And I think that because I really wanted to go back. When I think about education before I had a job, and, and you know, I don't know if this is just the US or this is maybe my only perspective, it seems like you go to school to kind of get the next thing, right? Like I got to do well in high school to get into a good college. I need to do well in college to get a good job. Yeah, yeah. And so you're, you're focused 
I think at least for me, I was focused less more on the learning, more about just kind of getting the results to get to the next phase. Versus when I went back to Cornell, I was really more excited about the learning and pushing the boundaries of, of fields that I was studying. And so it was less of a chore and it was much more challenging and much more fun. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Matt Zaracina, CEO and co-founder of True Tickets. And Matt, let's get into to three hot topics. Question one, you've always been one that, you know, even throughout your life right there, we just talked about clearly willing to take risk and knowing that many times there are very calculated risks, but you've also been very innovative in your career. What advice do you have for the listeners that may help them be more innovative and be willing to put themselves out there in any business environment? Yeah, being innovative is kind of challenging. And, and I would say that my perspective on this really has to do with acknowledging our own inherent biases and how we think the world works. And I believe to be innovative, you have to be willing to acknowledge, seek out and acknowledge what those biases are and challenge them. And I, I'm sure my dad's going to listen to this. So, you know, I, I want to apologize to my dad ahead of time. <laughs> you know, this, this should make him feel bad. But I remember when I was a kid. I had this big backpack and I had all these books from school and I was lugging around and he had this laptop. And I remember asking him, Hey, wouldn't it be great if like all my books could be on a laptop and I just had to carry the laptop. And he you know, made a casual comment, which was not wrong at the time. He said, Oh, that would require way too much memory. And I remember thinking like, Oh, I guess that'll never happen. Yep. And that's just an example of how ingrained biases come, you know, come to us and, and how we think the world works. Yeah. And so we have to take a step back and really understand and acknowledge where are some of those biases about how we think the world works and where can we challenge them to make them better, right? And, and we see ex examples of this all over the world and, and, and all sorts of times, right? You look at Moneyball and baseball or the Warriors, right? They, they thought differently about how to play the game and they used it right. to their advantage. You look at tech, I, the iPhone and music and how that has evolved uh, everything we've, we've done uh, in that regard and then behaviors right so if you look at like airbnb and, and uber there are their understandings or implicit biases and just how people would behave you know no one will just get in someone's random car no one will just rent someone's random house and when it comes to that you know it's it's challenging those and being able to test that and then find value in that and so you know by challenging it by understanding and acknowledging your biases you can really discover opportunities that are really planning and you know hiding in plain sight i would say right there for you. 
Question two, Matt, as you think about all the emerging emerging technologies in general, but certainly in the sports and entertainment space, and you're obviously in that space right now, what are some key trends that everyone in this business should be thinking about, specifically as it relates to tech? Yeah, in this space, it's, it's going to sound very similar to the pitcher through tickets, right? It's about establishing and developing those direct relationships with the people who engage with your content. So it's, it's that first party data. It's having that first party data strategy. And look, this is going to get complex, right? So when you think about things like how identity is going to be managed, you know, the concept of self-sovereign identity, you know, is there a world where you and I, we own our identity and we can monetize that? And, and what is that? What implications does that have for how companies think about identity and, and what they're able to do with it? And, you know, in the future, you know, is, does that mean there's going to be a few organizations that own and manage all the data? Is that data going to be shared? Is that owned by the individual? You know, there's some complex topics on the horizon that will need to be dealt with. The The good thing about the industry today, we, we touched on it a little bit earlier, is that, you know, there's so much opportunity right now. It's just kind of that first step of first party data and and know your customer. Right. So when you think about the sports world and, and the, the space, you know, True Tickets plays in today, which is the, the live experiences uh, space for the non for profit arts. How did we get to a point where it was OK to know, you know, a third of you know, the, the people who are buying your tickets, or I yeah. guess they're, you, you know, all your ticket buyers, but you really know only a thousand of them, yeah. right? Versus everybody else is knowing who's engaging with their product. How did, how did we let that happen? And it's and, crazy to think 10 years ago, we didn't know anything about them. Mm-hmm. Very even still today, there's, there's so much room for improvement. And yeah. I, I think that's what's, what's exciting, right? So it's not like, you know, the problems that we're solving today are really that hard to solve. They're very solvable. And the more complex problems will get dealt with in time. Uh, but there's there's a great opportunity still to just establish those direct relationships, develop them and 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 use them to your advantage as a, as an organization. Oh, I love it. And finally, question three, you obviously have a passion, which we've talked about the entire podcast for entrepreneurship and finding ways to simplify and ultimately generate more data and revenue. What's one piece of advice you would give every listener if they are thinking about potentially becoming an entrepreneur one day? I would say I'll reiterate myself from earlier in the podcast. It's going to be harder than you think. Mm-hmm. And and look, that's not a bad thing, right? I think that having a little bit of naiveness going into it is good. Because I think if if you truly knew how hard it was going to be and all the curveballs that are going to get thrown at you, I think a lot of people just simply wouldn't do it. Yep. And and so for those people who have that entrepreneurial itch, again, what I would recommend is prepare yourself as much as possible. And know that your preparation and where you're going to be in life is going to be very different than some other people, right? For some people, that's a freshman in college, just starting a business and going after it. And that's how they learned. For me, it really wasn't until I was 39 and spent almost 20 years working in industry where I felt comfortable with my knowledge and my level of expertise to actually go out and do something. And so that for me was my inflection point of where I felt prepared enough. And even then I, I would say, looking back, it was still harder than, than I, I thought it was going to be. It's not an easy path. Well, Matt, great career, certainly a fun journey. As you think back, what's been your best memory? Best memory. There's two that come to mind that are kind of surreal. So one is, your listeners can't see this, but there's a a wood carving behind me. Uh, So when I was in Iraq, I was a liaison with the the Ministry of Oil, and I had a lot of great relationships. And one was a deputy minister named Modison. And I was about a month from leaving. And he said, hey, you got to let me know when you're leaving. I've got a gift for you. I said, okay. And so I let him know when I'm leaving. And so the night before I, I leave Baghdad, 
we go to dinner at the Al Rashid Hotel in Baghdad and I'm in uniform. It's still in the green zone and, and we're at dinner. It was just very surreal. He pulls this wood carving out, out of a bag and he gives it to me. I was like, wow, this is really nice. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Minister. And I said, you know, this looks like traditional Kurdish people and they're celebrating. What are they celebrating? And he goes, the death of Saddam. I said, wow, that, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to respond to that. So <laughs> right. yeah, what do you this, say? Yeah, what do you say? And so, you know, you, you put it up in your office and you get to look at it. It's a great story. I, I'd say the other one is surreal in a different way. Uh, back in 2005, I, I was fortunate enough to be a relief pilot, you know, uh, a relief pilot for the tsunami. And I can't tell you what it feels like, you know, to, to be in an incredibly challenging situation as that was. And obviously seeing you know, a lot of difficult things. But one of the most gratifying things is we would land at these landing zones and deliver food, water, rice, and pick up injured people and, and take them back to Aceh where, where there was a, a hospital facility. There were so many times where you know, a parent would come up to the cockpit with their kid in their hands and just point to their kid, point to you, give you a thumbs up. And you know that's, that's a feeling that's always like overwhelming for me. And it's just so surreal that it, we're not, we're, you know, we live halfway around the world and we don't speak the same language. We have so, so our experiences are so different yet. There was like that bond connection, understanding that was, that was just so gratifying for what we were doing there. And I, I think say so that was one of you know, those two things are kind of two very surreal moments for me that I always look back on with, with a lot of fondness. Amazing. I love it. Well, Matt, ton of great advice. Certainly fun to hear about your journey to close it out. I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seats. You ready for this? Let's do it. You could have any actor play you in a movie. Who would it be? I'm going to lean on my favorite movie, which is The Natural. You know, look, I'm a baseball lover. Uh, and Robert Redford in his prime. So love uh, it. He's got he's definitely got a bit more hair than I do at the moment. <laughs> but uh, I, I, that's that's where I'd go with that one. If you could bring back any clothing trend, what would it be? Hmm. You know what I've always liked that I, I'm not sure why they really went away was those like 1950s men's linen shirts. Yeah, you know, they're they're kind of they're kind of classic. Uh, I wish that would come back. I think that would actually be a good look. Now, I think my wife would probably debate me on that, but uh, <laughs> I, love I think it. that I think that would be pretty cool. Now, the last one is you know even throughout your story today, you've done a lot of probably normal people's bucket list by already. But what was the last thing you completed on your bucket list? I would say true tickets. I would say starting and, and running a company and it's still going, yeah. which is the exciting part. So I, I'd say that's really the, the most recent big bucket list item I've been able to knock out. Love it. Well, to close it out, Matt, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Yeah, three key takeaways. One, look, life is serious, but you shouldn't take yourself too seriously. The, the second is it doesn't take talent to hustle. So I'll, I'll weave something in from the uh, the podcast. I was gonna say I love it. Anything and, hustle. Yeah, and the third one, be open to the journey. I, I was talking with a friend of mine who's who's got a career decision in front of him, and and he was really concerned about doing the right thing, the right thing for him, the right thing for his family. And my advice to him was maybe take a step back. Like doing the right thing is really serious. Maybe be open to just what's the right next chapter, and that next chapter could be two years, and that two years could turn into twenty years, or that next chapter could reveal the next opportunity. And and I've always tried to be open to the journey, and I I do believe that's benefited me, or at least that per that perspective has benefited me. I love it, Matt. Thank you so much. You certainly had an amazing journey, a great career. Always a pleasure talking to you. I certainly appreciate your time and expertise. 
Awesome, Travis. Thanks for having me. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle. Please be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.